Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. I'm Michelle Miao. It's Thursday, and every Thursday, no, it's not Thursday, it's Wednesday. <laughs> we changed the day because it's a, it's actually a very special taping of the Michelle Miao Show. We're at the Commonwealth Club with my co-host, John Zipper. Hey, Michelle. So I mentioned that we have special guests in the room. I'd like to give a warm welcome to the Boys and Girls Club of San Leandro. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, everybody. And now on to our special guest who's here with us. Uh, very excited for this program. I've definitely have learned a lot, and I thought that I knew a lot, and, and uh, I have been covered by watching this documentary like three times. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We have filmmaker and director Kimberly Reed with us, who uh, ha- whose new film is going to be out soon, especially here in the Bay Area, uh, Dark Money. Dark money. How can money be dark? Money is is green and it's good. We're going to start, you know, kind of with an introductory, uh, a series of introductory questions just also for Mm -hmm. our audience here. But explain to us, you know, dark money. First, explain to us kind of how campaign financing works in the Mm -hmm. most basic way you can, because it is complicated. It is complicated. Yeah, and uh, I think what our what our movie tries to do is to simplify that as much as possible, because the reason that this system has kind of gotten out of hand uh, is because it's a little complicated sometimes, and they they bet on that. They bet that people are going to be too confused or not interested enough to really dig into things to figure out who's behind everything. But um, dark money. In a political cam- campaign, it's it's really simple. It's any money where you don't know where it's coming from. Um, one of the basic tenets, one of the basic assumptions of campaign finance law is that if, if you're a politician, right, we're giving you a ton of power in our government. We're saying you have all this control and authority and you can, you know, toss people in jail and you can do all so you've got a lot of power. If we're going to do that, if you're going to have the reins to control our society, we need to make sure that you're not going to be corrupt. We need to make sure that we know who's trying to influence you and who's not. And if you're elected to office and he's shoveling money to you under the table, let's say you own a, what do you want to be a, uh, own a Definitely Zipper Industries International. Zipper Industries International, which I'm going to take a stab and just say they they sell zippers. The (laughs) finest in the world. The finest (laughs) zippers in the world. And you're making, and he's making zippers and there's, um, there's this zipper tax that he really hates. And if you get elected and all of a sudden he's giving you tons of money, under the table, right, where everybody else, all of the all of the citizens don't realize that this guy's giving you money to get rid of that zipper tax or those zipper regulations, then all of a sudden, you know, we have a corrupt political system where you're basically getting bribed. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what, what happened for a lot of our campaign finance laws in um, the 70s, the Nixon administration, was kind of famously corrupt, and there was all sorts of that skullduggery going on where people were bribing yeah. other people, and it was a very corrupt system. So what we decided to do as a country was to put these regulations in place so that if we're going to be spending money in a political campaign, we should know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And we, if if he's going to be spending money to support your political campaign – like, I should know about it so I can determine whether or not you're being corrupted by his money. And um, so dark money is kind of where we've ended up since then, where um, all of a sudden we've arrived at this place where there's a huge loophole in our system where people can give all sorts of anonymous money um, to influence you to get rid of zipper taxes and to lower, get rid of like zipper uh, regulations, um, and now it's 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 a legal loophole that's going on right now, and there's a lot of people that think that that loophole should be fixed, that we should do something about that. I would just say that a, a thriving zipper industry is essential for Western democracy and okay. freedom. It's very, it's very important, yes. right? Um, He's a very patriotic zippers and, and and good apparel. 
Um, <laughs> there, there was a, a good quote. So Anne Ravel uh, is in the movie. First, explain who she is. She's played quite a, a, a leading role in yep. trying to make sense of and to try to enforce whatever laws we have on campaign finance. So. Yeah, so after all that skullduggery, you guys know what skullduggery is? Bad stuff. Fun word. <laughs> all, uh, all that like kind of slimy behavior. How about that? Yeah. Um, after all that went on in the 70s, uh, the American public kind of looked around and said, we don't have anybody to enforce this. We need to create an enforcement agency this can be like the cops for all the money that goes into political campaigns. It was called the FEC, the Federal Election Commission. Mm -hmm. And so Anne Ravel, who uh, I think you I think you saw her at a screening the other night, and I just yeah. saw her this morning. She's a character in our film. She used to be one of six people on that commission on the FEC. Now, does it... Okay, so you've all heard of Citizens United, or you maybe have heard people complain about Citizens United... Or you've heard the zipper industry say how great Citizens United was. That was a uh, Supreme Court decision that allowed this to happen. Mm -hmm. um, after that decision, do, is the FEC, do I have the right initials right? Mm -hmm. Do they still have any power? I mean, do they sit around playing games all day or what do they do? They basically sit around playing games all day. Right. There's supposed to be six people on the commission. Mm -hmm. Right now there's only four and nobody's being appointed to, you know, fill those positions. And even when there are six people on that commission, it always is sort of balanced out. One side has agreed that they're they're only going to vote together. The there's kind of a right and a left yeah. side, and the right has decided that they're only going to vote in a block. So no enforcement happens. It's like extremely, extremely rare that they that they say anything at all. Um, for example, a lot of people these days are worried about if there's foreign money that's being d contributed to our American political campaigns. Now, think about that. I mean, why should money coming from a different country be going to pay a politician, right? Why should they have any say in how we govern ourselves? It doesn't make any sense at all unless there's up to no good. Mm -hmm. And recently, in uh, one of the last sessions at the FEC, there was a vote that they took to just say, hey, if you're going to spend money, you should, you should certify, you should promise to us that you're not a, from a foreign country yeah. <laughs> shoveling a lot of foreign money into our elections. And they, the FEC couldn't even pass that. So Facebook is now tougher on foreign influencers than the FEC. Uh, yes, there, there's a, a little bit of attention being paid to whether or not this money is foreign, and that's happening a little bit with Facebook. Cool. There's still a ways to go, but they're, they're, they well, started. Well, that's kind of what, also what I was pointing they out. Started. Facebook is doing a little bit, and yeah. it's still more than the FEC. Yep. Wow. Exactly. Wow. Now, that's scary. Exactly. That's a scary thought because it just gives opportunities for those who are trying to take advantage of our political system that much uh, you know, wielding power, if you will, mm -hmm. to influence how things work, how government works. You know, when, you know, Kimberly mentioned people in power, they can make certain decisions. That's what we're talking about and why it's really, really, really scary. Uh, I want to go back to the fact that, you know, the Citizens United decision, the, the Supreme Court made a decision in which basically uh, it campaigns and people who are running for office can now take money from corporations, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then with this movie, what, or what you did was go back to Montana, your home state, mm -hmm. fourth generation Montanan. And you, I mean, this state has had a law in their state that didn't allow for something like this to happen for 100 years. Imagine a law that has been a law for a hundred years to protect, you know, the way that our government works. And in this movie, you do a great job in bringing in p politicians from both sides yeah. mm -hmm. to showcase how scary it is. Yep. Yep. It's not. It's not a partisan issue. You know, it's not a Republican issue or a Democratic issue or any other name you want to put on it. It's a um, if if you ask Americans how they feel about having so much money 
in politics, especially anonymous money in politics. Again and again, the American public says that um, like 70 to 80 percent of the American public says that we don't like the system. We need to reform this. This is not how it's supposed to work. And that's actually what happened in Montana, where I'm from, a uh, hundred years ago. And it was because, like, think think back a hundred years before there was even electricity. Um, there was a hill in Butte, Montana, where there was a bunch of copper at the time that the rest of the country needed to make copper wires to wire up a bunch of light bulbs and turn them on. <laughs> That's essentially what happened. There's a lot of buildings like right next to us. This is a new building, so this probably has new wiring. But a lot of the old buildings next door across the street have copper wiring in it that came from the richest hill on earth is what they used to call it in Butte, Montana. And so there were, uh, there were three guys, the copper kings, who went out and uh, had all did whatever they could to control all of the copper that was coming out of the, the, that hill because it was going to make them enormously wealthy. And it did make them enormously wealthy. And in order to really control that situation, they bought up all of the mines. They bought up all of the newspapers so they could control what people said about them and what they said about the mines. And they also, they also bought up all of the politicians. They did the thing that I was talking about before where they would have their, you know, their henchmen, their kind of crew stand on the floor of the Capitol building and hand politicians envelopes full of cash, $10,000, which was a lot of, it's like a million dollars at the time, or that would translate to a million dollars now. And they just gave them money to buy their votes. And that was really disgusting. Uh, it was embarrassing. And so what the voters did is pass a ballot initiative. They all got together and said, you know, we're not gonna depend on the lawmakers to change the law because there's a bunch of crooks. They <laughs> can't trust those guys. And they came up with their own law where they said, corporations can't give money in political campaigns because all they do is all this crooked stuff where they're trying to buy people off. Mm -hmm. And that law stood for a hundred years until what this law you're talking about, Citizens United, um, kind of pulled that apart. Mm -hmm. uh, what's inter I, the, the movie is very important and, 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 and uh, we were talking about it before you got in here, very sobering. Um, I, I'm from the state of Wisconsin. Wisconsin used to be known as like one of these squeaky clean government states. You know, Illinois used to make fun of us. I mean, literally, the newspapers in, Illinois, in Chicago would be, you know, writing, you know, sarcastically about some scandal of some Wisconsin uh, politician who, you know, had done like 186, I think it was $186 in private phone calls on their, on their office phone and that was a big thing in Wisconsin they had to pay it back and I think they were reprimanded in Illinois they're like well you don't even get to be a legislator here until you've killed someone yeah. um, and Wisconsin like Montana has fallen mm -hmm. you know they are now just as crooked as any other state with all the dark money coming in all the collusion between the office holders and supposedly independent groups that are not supposed to be talking to them um, is literally no place safe? I mean, is there anything states could do to fight this off? Or are they all kind of laid bare by Citizens United? There definitely is. And the key to it is to just pay attention. And that's what started to happen in Montana. At the beginning of the film, we saw a lot of stuff just falling apart and going wrong and corruption. And we show how one organization can really take over um, an entire election cycle and sort of handpick different people that they want in office and move a whole slate of people into office at the same time. And that, you know, you can, you can totally shift the whole legislature if you have a campaign like that that involves multiple candidates. And that's what we saw at the beginning mm -hmm. um, of, of when I first started making the film in 2012. By the time I finished in t shooting in 2016, 17, 
um, Montana had passed some of the strongest campaign finance regulations in the nation, um, which all it said was like, we want to know where the money is coming from if you're going to be spending it in our elections. So you can't be shoveling money under the table to get better zipper regulations. We want to have a system. We want to have cops on the beat who are paying attention and following all this money so we know whether it's it has a corrupting effect or not. And that really happened. It, yeah. it really worked. And um, it kind of flipped the script of all the elections. And now if you run for office in Montana, you, you know you're going to get questions from voters about like, show me the money, show me where this is coming from and, and prove to me that you're not being corrupted by this. Don't go away. The Michelle Meow Show continues right after this. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Has this been tested in court yet? It has been tested in court. Actually, in the Montana sits in the Ninth Circuit of the uh, U.S. Supreme Court and went all the way up to the to the Supreme Court here in the Ninth Circuit and has been ratified and is now the law of the land unless it gets appealed up once more. But that's that's highly unlikely. Yeah, wow. uh. So I, I mean, I want to put it in in very basic terms. This is a high level example of cheating that's what it is mm -hmm. and and so who's cheating like that's the important question i want to talk about and these are there we're going to talk about some names that you might not have heard of for those who are in the audience but people like the Koch brothers why do we why do we care about these two people and who are these companies that keep you know engaging in this type of cheating why are they cheating these are some questions as you get older and you get to an age where you vote, you'll want to ask these questions. And so going back to, you know, the Koch brothers, which um, they were a part of the film, you know, these guys created uh, organizations because you could do that, uh, political action committees where you can funnel the money without having to tell anyone where the money is coming from to candidates that they want elected into office who will basically do what they want. Mm -hmm. um, so why, why would the Koch brothers have any interest to do this? You know, it was, uh, uh, there's a couple, a couple examples spring to mind. I mean, there's we've got Boys and Girls Club here. It's, it, it would be sort of like if you, uh, you know, how you have elections for the, to be, who's going to be the president of your middle school or your high school. And what if, people at the school across town decided that they were going to try to figure out the, your own election results. Like, we're, this is our middle school. We're having our election. And those people across town decide that they're going to 
install their own leader or a leader at our school that they think is like favorable to them. It doesn't make any sense that they should be able to control this election. Here's another example that just happened recently. Uh, we were in Nashville, right? And they were having a big public debate about whether they should have more public tra transportation. They wanted to build kind of a subway and some more station, more buses and some more light rail um, so that people could get around town more. It was going to cost some money, so they were trying to figure out, have a debate about whether they should spend that money. There, at the last minute, a bunch of this anonymous money, this dark money, shows up. Um, they pretty quickly identified that a, a, a good portion of it was from the Koch brothers. But there was another big chunk that they just didn't know where it was coming from. Why is somebody spending all of this money to influence this debate about whether we should have a subway or not, whether we should have public transportation. And then they found out that it was the guy in town who owns the auto dealerships, mm. who owns the car dealerships, right? So of course the guy who sells cars is not going to want a bunch of people taking public transportation. Now, I, I mean, I would argue that we should have a big public debate about how much money we should spend on our public transportation system, on how much, how, whether the taxes should be, how many different buses should we have. Let's have a debate about that in public. That's how democracy works. That's how government works. Let's have that, let's have that conversation. But for one person to use secret money, use this anonymous money to try to drown out the voices of all these other voters, I I, that's not how our democracy was designed to work. And uh, I, th that's, uh, I think one of the things that really pushed me to make this film is that feeling that, you know, that's just not fair to run elections like that in an undemocratic way. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, John. Uh, one of the things that kind of struck me right at the beginning of your movie was talking about in Montana, a state legislator's only work for the state, 90 days every two years, is that yep. right? The rest of the time, they're like anyone else, working regular jobs, farming, uh, whatever. Um, and I'm kind of wondering your thought on situations like that, they call themselves citizen legislatures, legislators, versus you know maybe a bigger state where they're year-round you know, legislators and they're getting paid more and they have staffs and all that kind of stuff. Are they both equally susceptible to that, the money both the lure for themselves or the threat of it being spent against them? Or is one of those systems maybe uh, more resilient? You know, I think it works both ways. I think that if you are, if you're not a professional politician, mm -hmm. if it's not what you do all day long, if you're not a lawyer who's been all trained up in campaign finance law, um, if you're a farmer or a school teacher and you every other year, you go there for three months to make laws for the state that you're in. Um, you probably don't have a huge staff and a lot of money, and you can't spend a lot of time examining all of these issues. Yeah. You know, I think you might be more susceptible to some of these dark money attacks. That's certainly what we saw. So that's kind of the bad news about that situation, but it's also the good news because what happens is if you have a smaller pool of of people that probably know each other mm -hmm. probably get to you know have to get, build a sense of respect for each other in a way that they're kind of trust each other and aren't going to stab each other in the back as soon as somebody turns around um that also means that there's a better way to enforce that whole system right mm -hmm. that you're if somebody does do something that's really dishonest you're probably going to get called out on it and that's what we saw happen yeah. we saw we saw both sides of that we saw i think people that were maybe more susceptible to these what what happens is like if we're running for office uh, there was one guy who tells a story about three days before the election all of a sudden everybody in town had a stack of postcards in their mailbox mm -hmm. that was accusing him of being a serial murderer. <laughs> and it's just like, it's a couple days before the election. Like, how do you respond to that? Like, even if you made up your own postcard, 
It would take you a couple days to do that. You and, and, mail it out yeah, and, after and the election. No one wants the press conference of you saying, I am not a serial killer. Yes. Right. That's exactly yeah. how. And so when did you stop beating your wife? It's that whole kind of entrapment question. Yeah. So, yeah, we saw that. And the, and the legislators were susceptible to some of those attacks because they didn't have these big you know, these big teams with lots of staff that could respond to that really quickly with a huge media strategy that would be very expensive. Right. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a very heartening and, and promising and hopeful story because you see that when people do pay attention and they call each other out on it and they hold each other to higher standards of running clean elections that you can actually, um, again, sort of, flip the script and all of a sudden people are focusing on having clean elections instead of, you know, people clawing their way to the bottom to see who can fight the dirtiest. I'm going to take a quick second and ask our audience, how, how many of you feel or know or understand what's happening politically right now is, is stressful, it's distressing to some uh, adults, maybe your parents, your teachers, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so for some of some of us, you know, it's it's scary. It just recently there is a policy that has been passed in which some of these campaigns or um, uh, people are running for office do not have to or the super PACs, I think, don't have to disclose to the IRS who's giving them money. Um, I wanted to ask you about that because I know that that's very recent. So although, you know, there are ways in which the state can fight back, we can fight back. What's happening right now politically, even from the, you know, the perspective of the federal government, it seems to feel as if they're, they're making decisions or policies that restrict us more and more and more as voters uh, or even, uh, you know, state rights. Um, and I know that Montana, uh, the governor, had just announced that he plans on suing the IRS, mm -hmm. which uh, <laughs> that's pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. So there's these there's these things called 501c4s. It's a 501c4 group. It's a it's a nonprofit group. Right. I, I'm a member of a 501c4 group in my neighborhood uh, back where I live in New York. We have a park next to us. So there's a, there's a, it's a social welfare nonprofit. We're supposed to do things that are good for the rest of the community. So in our 501c4, a bunch of neighbors, we pay 20 bucks a year in dues. We take that money and we probably shouldn't have to pay taxes on that because we're not making any money where this is we're doing something for the social good and what we do is we get together and we plant some trees we clean up the park and you know we put some recycling bins over in the corner you know it's that's what a social welfare 501c4 nonprofit group is supposed to do is stuff like that but what if somebody said I'm going to use that group, that tiny little group that's supposed to do like build a ball field or like clean up your park. What if they use that as a loophole, as a way to hide a bunch of political contributions, millions and millions of dollars of political contributions? That is what, you know, is going on in our election these days. So up until a week ago, our 501c4 group would have to report who our donors are, the big donors, like over a five, over $5,000. We would have to tell the IRS, this is who gave us this money. Um, but those donors are never made public. Nobody ever finds out about those. But if the IRS ever has to like track stuff or make sure that things are on the level or investigate anything, they have those names that are there for them to investigate. Um, what happened a week ago is when it actually happened on a day that everybody else was looking at um, what actually what President Trump was doing at a news conference in Helsinki having to do with the, the Russian president. Mm -hmm. um, everybody was paying attention to that. And some guy, the secretary of the Treasury said, OK, the IRS doesn't have to collect those names anymore. 
completely anonymous. You don't have to tell us where that's coming from. So in terms of like investigating this stuff, in terms of our ability to follow that money, whether you're outright bribing Michelle to get those zipper regulations dropped, um, that there's no longer a paper trail. And we can't figure out if you were giving any of that secret money to her anymore. And that's just a, just a quick little rule change that happened the other day when everybody was looking over at the shiny object over there. I'm so, yeah, the governor of Montana is suing the IRS to try to get that law changed to make sure that that doesn't go into effect. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with. But work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Uh, and we're, we're going to see what happens. I'm mainly uh, concerned about zipper tariffs right now. Zipper tariffs yeah, is a so. big, that is a big <laughs> issue. Well, t so talking about kind of where there is any visibility into what's mm -hmm. going on in, in dark money world, um, you mentioned earlier uh, those miners back 100 years and more mm -hmm. ago, those big rich companies bought up the newspaper so they controlled things. I mean, newspapers still sort of exist now, but they're all shrunken. But, you know, television stations and such. But the whole media landscape has been so, uh, what's the word, uh, almost atomized and, and a lot of it is shrunken. Um, what's your, your thoughts on the both what the role of the media should be in this kind of thing mm -hmm. and the degree to which they're actually able to do it these days? Yeah. Um, I, we haven't really talked about John Adams yet, yeah. have we? And John Adams is this, he was a, he was a investigative reporter who was following all of these issues of money and politics in Montana. And I saw his reporting. It was actually some of the best that was going on. A lot of people were covering it and talking about it because of that rich history where people are paying attention to this issue, right? So I was following the I was living in New York and following the uh, journalism that John Adams was doing in my home state. And um, I eventually convinced him to, to go on camera and to help us kind of let, let us see the movie through his eyes, to let him see the movie through uh, his eyes as our, uh, you know, we sort of go on this investigative journalism, mm -hmm. you know, mystery spy novel mm -hmm. as we're trying to figure out who's behind a lot of this spending. Um, and so we were doing that with John. I was following him for a couple of years, digging into this big, huge case that we uncover in the film. But halfway through, he loses his job. 
because of some of this media consolidation that you're talking about, because the newspapers were getting smaller and smaller and shutting their doors and consolidating and he got caught up in all of that, which is, you know, made him just a good representative of what was going on with all the, a bunch of other newspapers across the country. So that turns into kind of interesting sort of subplot with our film, I think, because you need good journalists who are going to follow the money, who are going to report on where this money is coming from. For example, if there weren't good journalists in Nashville who were looking at this vote that they were going to have on public transportation and letting us know where the money was coming, trying to affect their local politics, if we didn't have those really good journalists there on the ground talking about issues in their own community, we would have been we would would have never found out. Right, right. Well, I want to save some time for questions from our audience, and you can ask any of us anything. Before we do that, I know that there might be some uh, some students here who probably want to know about you, Kimberly. I mean. Mm filmmaker how did you get here uh, you know uh your first film and mm-hmm. actually i didn't mention it before but we've had kimberly on the show uh the radio program um we interviewed you about prodigal sons mm-hmm. uh and and the story of and so i wanted to give you an opportunity to share your story here with our audience and on progressive voices network yeah Oh, there we could do a whole show just on that. It's been a long time since I talked about prodigal sons. Um, uh, so yeah, um, I don't know. I you know, I I think I first got interested in filmmaking because my dad was the guy who always had cameras. He always had still cameras and a bunch of video cameras, and I was just really interested in them. Um, the first thing. I remember asking him for for my birthday was a dark room so that I could develop my own <laughs> photographs and chemicals and stuff like that. It was back before digital photography. Um, so, yeah, that's, I think, how I first got the bug. And then um, there was uh, an opportunity. I was actually working on a different film when all this interesting stuff happened in my own family. And it kind of led me to... It, it was just too good of a story not to tell. Um, and the story kind of, it it really, at the end of the day, boils down to the relationship between me and my brother. Um, I am transgender, and I had not seen my brother for a long time. And I decided to go home and kind of reconnect with my brother. And that was kind of making me nervous I didn't quite know how this was going to go but I knew that I you know just had to reconnect with him and I sort of had this new identity so here's the other part of the story my brother who I had this complicated relationship with was adopted he was older than me but he was held back in school so we were the same age and um, I think he always felt this rivalry and I didn't really care about it but he always had felt this rivalry um, and I think was, was jealous of me in a lot of ways. Um, and so he actually started right as the film is starting, he looks into who, you know, who his birth parents were and I won't give away the total spoiler alert, but he finds out that he's related to some of the most famous Hollywood actors ever. Um, So he has this new identity, and I have this new identity, and we both go back to Montana and try to work it out. So (laughs) that's that's kind of what Prodigal Sons is about, Um, and it's it's uh, I think you know kind of like this film. It has a lot of twists and turns and surprises, and I won't go into all of them. But yeah, it's very Kimberly Reed. Your your storytelling (laughs) is just so amazing. I mean, I had to watch Dark Money three times, Mm. uh, and 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 not because not just because that you know the idea of dark money and and politics in our country is complicated and it's complex and you got to take some time to really learn about it but just because the way that Kimberly moves with the mm. camera and uh, the technique that she uses for storytelling makes your mind like 
you know, it's like a mist. It's like reading a mystery book where you just mm. kind of have to go back and read the clues in order to figure it out for yourself. Mm. So, uh, Dark Money opens up in the Bay Area. Uh, is it this Friday or next Friday? Uh, this Friday. This Friday. Yeah, this coming. So, uh, for for those of you who want to see it, go see it in those. Um, maybe you know, tell your parents or <laughs> yeah, adults in your lives. Definitely go check it out. We're going to open up for questions from the audience. And again, feel free to ask us um, whatever, even if it's not related to uh, dark money. That's okay. And then if it is, ask Kimberly. <laughs> Let's start with Pat and then right next to you. <clears throat> Kimberly, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. For I'm that. really excited about this film. And I want to let you know that I, I convinced my movie club... Good. To see it as one of our films. Oh, that's time. great. So well done. I'm going to see it this week. Well um, but I have a question about public financing, which is my thing. Yep. For 25 years, I've been fighting for it, and I haven't been able to get it, of course. And, of course, the Citizens United decision just kind of blew everything out of the water. Do you take a position on it in the film, on, on anything like public financing, or do you personally... Uh, I think public financing is the answer. I think it's the only thing that's going to get us out of the hole that we're in. Um, for those who are not familiar with how this works, is like, so Citizens United said that there could be unlimited spending in political campaigns. So that kind of, uh, if you think about how that works, the only people who end up with a voice are the people who have a ton of money millionaires and billionaires those are the, tend to be the only people that politicians talk to when they get trying to get elected and, and we're trying to get reelected and the only people that end, end up getting a voice are those same handful of super rich people so the the way to counteract that is to put the power back in the hands of everyday citizens right everyday voters and one way to do that is, you know, again, you're running for office. You you spend most of your time talking to the zipper magnate because he's the guy with all the money. But what if instead of just, just talking to the zipper magnate, what if there was a way to encourage you to talk to every like kind of everyday people? So the way that works is if there's a pool of public financing and you get a hundred bucks from you, 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 and that's matched like six to one, mm. then all of a sudden it makes more sense for you to get 700 bucks from you, 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 and you don't have to just spend time talking to one zipper magnate. That's how democracy works. Yeah. And that's how I live in, in New York City. And that's how the elections are run there. So the cool thing that happens when you do that, when you open up that power structure to different folks is you see more people of color who are running and who are elected and who end up in positions of power. And you see more women who are running and elected and end up in positions of power. And at the end of the day, you just end up with elected officials that look more like what America looks like instead of just having all, all that power usually ending up in, you know, the hands of a bunch of rich white guys. I was going to say corrupt people, but yeah, I well. guess I shouldn't be general. <laughs> I would say another benefit of that would be that, to, to keep up this this thing, the zipper magnet, mm -hmm. uh, I no longer just have to keep my communication with my, you know, legislator that I own. I now have to communicate with all of you. I have to try to convince enough of you to support whatever policies I want. And that is much more what we talk about when we talk about democracy, right? It's, it's much more. Uh, you had a question? Yeah. What was a struggle um, trying to get the job you have now? Trying to get the job, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's good to kind of think about struggle because no matter what job you have, there's always going to be struggles. Um, with this film, so it's really expensive to make films. And the most expensive part is right at the end when you have to edit it, because basically you just lock yourself in a room for a year with a bunch of people and really expensive equipment, and that costs a lot of money. So you need to find funding. And one of the things that I spent a lot of time doing is writing 
grant applications and trying to connect to this funding and that funding and bring it all together so that we could finish the film. So that was a big struggle. Um, but I had a really good team and we stuck with it and, you know, we got, we got some breaks, we got some, some lucky breaks. Um, but I think it's important when, when you guys are thinking about your jobs and kind of moving forward as adults, you know, it's, it's when you see, when you get a lucky break, you can take advantage of it. But I also think you can't just sit around waiting for those lucky breaks to happen and kind of feel jealous of that person over there because they had a lucky break and you didn't. If you just keep moving forward and if something lucky happens, you take advantage of it and you figure out how to capitalize on that right away. Um, that's, I think that's the best approach. Well, I mean, in the film, and I think I read somewhere, I mean, you moved to Montana to do this film. You stayed with your family, used mm -hmm. the family car, and yeah. you had to do stuff like that. Yeah. John Adams, who's the journalist in the film, I mean, when he lost his job, he basically said he was going to live out of his car and see what happens next. Uh, he ended up moving back home and selling a bunch of his own stuff, giving away stuff. And, and, and he started, uh, it was, is it the Montana Free Press? It's called MontanaFreePress.org. Yeah. MontanaFreePress.org. And all that is funded by, I mean, donations. Mm -hmm. And there was a part in the film where he was super excited to get a donation. It was $100. Wow. I mean, sometimes, you know, when you really believe in something, those are the types of sacrifices um, yeah. that you make to, in order to get there. Yeah. And Kimberly shows that in both films, actually, mm. that, that I've seen. Yeah. I had a question. Was your life ever threatened or did you feel unsafe at all making this movie? Um, no, I, it was not. Um, I think, you know, other people who have dug into some of these issues have felt some pressure. I have not yet. I am knocking on wood. <laughs> um, it, the, the, when you work on a film, it, everything becomes public right at the end. And other folks who have been digging around at this stuff, I think, have gotten pressure early on before their whole project became public. But, I mean, we're just, like, out there now. So I think that it's hopefully beyond that point where we're going to try to get shut down because it's too late. I mean, this is like we're out. <laughs> um, so that that's part of it. Um, but, you know, never say never. I'm being careful and stuff we all need to but um when you uh start messing around with people in positions of power sometimes they get defensive yeah the front row there how did your brother feel when you guys connected when we when we connected you know what uh it was it was the best thing that we ever did the best thing that we ever did because um, there was, uh, you know, like with a lot of stuff with families, it can get complicated and feelings get hurt and people get angry. And um, what happened with us was we just didn't talk to each other that much for a long time. So for us to reconnect, even though it was a little awkward at times and even though it was a, a little tough, at the end of the day, it was the best thing that I think either of us that both of us would say the best thing that either of us had done and it just felt really good once we reconnected yeah it was it was great it was great and my mom was especially happy too yeah. did you have a question yeah um where were you born at i was born well you know my dad was in the army so i was born in washington in the state of washington but i don't remember that because i moved to montana when i was really young so I always think of myself as being from Montana. Right here first. So when you were uh, making the movie, did anybody offer you some dark money to like <laughs> maybe not talk about them? Uh, uh, no, no, um, no. It's uh, yeah. I, I, it, there are um, there's a lot of that pressure move, moving around and. There's a lot of people trying to um, trying to change the laws. The 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 counter argument that you usually hear from the other side is, um, well, we don't care about that that dark money stuff. But what we do care about is freedom of speech, and uh, you can't constrain my speech. I mean, that's really what Citizens United said was because corporations are people, and because money is speech. 
corporations should be able to speak. Corporations should be able to spend money in an unlimited fashion. Otherwise, you constrain their free speech rights. So that whole, um, and that's an interesting debate to me to get into about the, 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 the limits of the First Amendment because um, I'm a documentary filmmaker and I like use the First Amendment like every moment of the day because that's what it's all about is having that freedom of speech. Um, but nope, no, no, I, yeah, I wish people would. <laughs> okay, we have another question right here. Um, have you ever thought about making another type, like any other type of genre, like t another type of genre of a movie, like horror, comedy? Like, uh, yeah, I have. I really have. Um, and I'm even like working on some. So uh, Dark Money is it's a uh, nonfiction. Right. And most of what I do is nonfiction. So documentaries are, you know, nonfiction. But I'm working on some fiction stuff, too. And I even recently have been uh, getting involved in opera and I'm doing a lot of opera work. So that's not only fiction, but it's people singing the whole time. <laughs> Wow. Um, do you think with the with this dark money that is working its way through like all I guess all sorts of avenues in our political system, do you ever think that there'll be a way where we can get back to honest politics without the influence of these big corporations? I do. Uh, things got tougher last week with that. You know, with with the. Um, the administration just saying that we're going to shut down any enforcement mechanism that you have there. Um, this gets a little bit wonky, but there was a guy a couple months ago, Dinesh D'Souza, who was pardoned after pleading guilty to campaign finance Ugh. violations. Dude pled guilty. He's like he admitted to it and then was and then was pardoned. And if you take those two things together, you kind of see um, an unwillingness on the part of the administration to regulate any of this stuff. And then if people, if you do regulate it and people break the law, then they just get pardoned. And I find that pretty, uh, pretty frightening. <laughs> but there is a lot of hope, too. And I want people to stay focused on that because what happened in Montana is people were really passionate about this issue. People made sure that their elected officials knew that they were paying attention to it and they voted on it. And you couldn't get elected if you didn't have a, a really strong position on this issue. Um, and I think that the, the issue of money in politics is going to work like marriage equality did. I think instead of having... You know, one big declaration from the U.S. Supreme Court where all of a sudden, you know, things change everywhere. It's going to have to go from the bottom up. It's going to go from a city council race over here where there's a declaration that says we're not going to have dark money in our city council elections in San Leandro. And then we're going to have a school board you know, on the, in San Diego that says we're not going to have dark money on our school board elections and then build it city after city, state after state and move from the ground up because that's the only type of, you know, broad appeal that the Supreme Court and they do pay attention to that. That's but that's that's going to be the thing that tips the scales. Any, just go ahead, John. I was just going to ask, so you've talked about some of the things you're working on. Mm -hmm. Right now, are you just busy on the rollout? Are you going around talking about it, or are you also actively working on your next? Um, I am trying to figure out the next one, and I'm weighing a couple different options. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, it's just, yeah, just rolling this out. So we're going to be in theaters the rest of the summer, and then we're going to have a broadcast on PBS in the fall, but like before Election Day, well before Election Day. So that gives people plenty of time to kind of think about the film and see the film before they go into the voting booth. And, um, yeah, so hopefully it's just going to keep, uh, keep us all busy throughout the fall, through, right through Election Day. Perfect, perfect. I want to bring it back in kind of what we like to do when we – um, end the program as we or when we get near the end of the program is to summarize 
kind of what we talked about. I think watching the film for me, I mean, some things went off in my head as a normal, regular person. And, you know, one day it will be just that. At when uh, Years ago, I used to think that I definitely am not a political person. I hate politics. And I never want to be a politician. And then now, like, some of these everyday things, like, impact my life. So, you know, Kimberly brought up in her home state, Montana, you know, the, 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 the copper companies and how the copper companies impacted um, where she lived. I mean, if you allow for those big companies to influence the elections and they just keep making decisions that's pro-copper, you look at the place where they were mining for so many years now that they're not, and, you know, the groundwater is uh, swelling back up into that area, that water in the film, you know, it was mentioned that that water is as acidic as, you know, your stomach. I mean, those are, imagine, you know, not being able to swim. You can't swim in that. You'll get sick. You'll get hurt. Or imagine if all of a sudden you're drinking water. Um, you know, sometimes you go out there and you think that just drinking water out of a fountain is, um, it's okay. Imagine if there were companies who were doing all this damage because they can, because they had the money to do it, because they were paying for the power. Uh, that's going to impact you one day in which, you know, why should we care? And we were mm -hmm. asking that in the beginning. This is why we should care. So that made it even more scary for me to think about, you know, just the climate changes that we're starting to experience and, and why that's happening if we support more of these man-made decisions to happen that impact our environment, you know, I think that we're going to be in a lot of trouble. But the good news is I think the hope that Kimberly is talking about is also um, the, the hope is you, is, is all of you who are taking the time out of your day to come and sit through a program like this, to meet Kimberly, to learn about Kimberly, and to maybe, you know, it, it will inspire you to talk about politics and this idea of dark money. And I, I bet you anything, if you go out there today and you talk about your friends about dark money, you told them what dark money is, you, you're going to be the coolest kid of the hour. It's true. <laughs> um, Kimberly, thank you so much for thank joining for us and, and for Dark Money. And, you know, I, I bet anything in about a month when we check back in with you and we ask the same question, you know, have you gotten any threats or have you gotten any attention? You're probably going to say yes to both of those uh, mm -hmm. questions. And the reason why I say that is because also um, John Adams, a journalist who was a part of this, he didn't even want to be a part of it because um, uh, film made him nervous or whatever, but decided that it was really important to start talking about this. This is mm -hmm. the beginning of talking about something that they want to keep a secret. That's why I think mm -hmm. that within a few weeks here, people start seeing the film. It's going to get a lot of attention. Yep, yep. And there's a lot of agreement, too, with people that um, this system is just broken and needs to be fixed. So I think it it's, it also feels pretty good to be in the majority. Like I know that I'm in the vast majority of people think that this needs to get fixed. So it kind of gives you a little bit of courage and endurance to handle the haters who want to take shots at you. All right. Well, thank you, Boys and Girls Club of San Leandro, for participating with us today and for being a part of the program. Uh, this airs today, 4 o'clock on Progressive Voices Network. If you're online, if you like that kind of stuff, download apps. You could search it on Google. And for everything else, if you want to catch the Michelle Meow Show, you can do so this Sunday at 1030. Famous San Francisco drag queen Juanita Moore is our guest. Um, and uh, you can check out the program at michellemeow.com. We'll see you next time. Thank you, everybody. Hi, my name is Courtney Ziegler, and I'm the founder of TransHack, which is an organization focused on creating technology for the trans community and visibility for trans technologists and entrepreneurs. Tech is like the new industrial revolution. There's so many opportunities for wealth building and wealth creation. It's perfect for the trans community, which experiences strong amounts of unemployment um, and low wages. TransHack um, provides an opportunity for trans individuals to take advantage of the wealth creation that the tech industry provides. 
Um, it's a space in which people who are in charge of innovation and development, all these awesome things that we are able to use through technology, are paid really well for that. And so I think that trans people should definitely have their hand in, in that space and creating that. And so TransHack provides that opportunity. I got my first computer when I was 15 years old in the 90s, and it changed my world ever since then. And I went on to become an independent filmmaker who had to uh, not only write direct my own films, but also was kind of doing the technical stuff behind it, which is the editing and the capturing and all those things. I've always had this kind of tech-based background. I'm just very curious about a lot of things and just very fascinated about things that I don't know um, and things that can make me a better person. All of that motivates me. I'm just like, what else can I know? What else can I do? What else can I learn? Success to me means a number of things. I think right now in my life personally, it means waking up every day and feeling proud of the work that I'm doing and proud of myself. Just know what you want to get out of any particular industry. Um, it's not an industry that's 100% inclusive in the ways that it should be, in the ways that it's progressing towards, of all types of people in terms of creating the tech and the industry itself, building its infrastructure. Um, but that's also exciting in the fact that like, um, people like me have a lot of room to change a lot of things and a lot of precedent to set. So, um, and that is the, the epitome of success. Spotlight on success and achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far.